well-met adventurers. My name's Roy and I'm the Intrepid DM and this is the Intrepid DM Journeys. This is chapter four of our adventure and tonight's guest is Joe Stevens from the How Did We Miss This podcast. Joe is a game master with experience in the World of Darkness suite of games, particularly the Mage, the Ascension. Thank you for joining me, Joe. I'm happy that you're my first active podcaster on the show <laughs> i'm happy to be here right it's uh i've really been looking forward to doing this and, and talking about what i would describe as an underrated series of games uh yes like i i have a little bit of experience in a white wolf game but not i've never played mage the ascension uh mage the awakening werewolf the apocalypse and i know there's vampire the masquerade Yep. There, there's a few of them. I've never played those particular ones, and those are more of Dark Mythos, right? So the whole thing with The World of Darkness, the way I describe it to people is it is a pen and paper game where the central question is, what if all myths are true? Mm -hmm. So there's mages, there's vampires, there's werewolves. There's, you could play as a mummy. You could play as a hunter. You could play as a demon. I mean, it's you could play as almost anything, right? Mm -hmm. And... There are rule books that take it back to the Dark Ages, the Renaissance, and there's a lot of cool reasons. There's, there's Werewolf the Wild West, which is very, very cool. But the thing I like best about the game series is that it takes place in modern day, right? So there's mm. that added tension. You know, I know that a lot of your, your, your friends and compatriots and guests play a lot of D&D. This is going to be a controversial opinion for your podcast. <laughs> I'm kind of bored of fantasy medieval more generally. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean I won't play them. I mean, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Don't get me wrong. But that's what draws me to the world of darkness. You're right. It's like this gothic mythos set in modern day. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I I completely agree. I, you know, I play D and D religiously. I have for 25 years. I say it every time a guest is on. Yep. Um, it's just, but I've played many other systems like Starfinder and Star Wars, and there there are different games out there. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them are the same D20 based system. Mage, the Ascension is all die 10s, right? Yep. The entire World of Darkness is D10. Uh, it's pretty interesting because I know in, let's say, generic D20 games, right? I, I also played the old Star Wars one that was more or mm -hmm. less just what if D&D &D was Star Wars? Still yeah. a lot of fun, but that's it's a very similar rule set. In, in the World of Darkness, so just, just for a point of clarification, we are called storytellers. Mm -hmm. I know it's a little bit corny, but it's, it's, it's in the book, right? So the storyteller more or less has guidelines in the book of difficulty ratings, right? I know that mm -hmm. for you guys, it's like a skill check, right? Yeah. In this, everything in the game from your skill points to your roles is based on a system of fives and tens. So okay. your average difficulty is six, because you can imagine between one and 10, mm -hmm. the middle is more or less six. So your average difficulty of six. So let's say you're trying to pick a lock and I tell you, okay, it's difficulty of six and you're going to use your uh, dexterity and your stealth. You go okay. to your character sheet, you count how many dots of dexterity you have, one, mm -hmm. one through five. Uh, you count how many dots of stealth you have. You take that many D10, mm -hmm. so 40, 10, 60, 10, whatever it is, you roll them. And anything that's a six or higher is a success, and anything mm -hmm. lower is a failure. And broad strokes, three successes is a complete success. Of course, just like in D&D, &D, 
the storyteller has a bit of leeway as to what mm -hmm. is or is not a success. Uh, the thing that I find very fun is that whereas you guys have natural ones and natural 20s, yeah. in our game, if you roll a 10, it's a success, of course, because it's the highest number you can get. And yeah. you get to re-roll that dice at a chance of getting yet another success. So that's okay. a beautiful hit there. Uh, and any one cancels any success, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The real fun part is if you have more ones than successes. So for argument's sake, you roll 5d10, you get three ones and two successes. Well, guess what? You've got more ones than successes. That's called a botch. And that's when the fun stuff happens. That's when I get to really mess with the players. You know, mm -hmm. you tried to do a, a, a kickflip off the table. Well, guess what? You landed on your face and broke your nose. <laughs> uh, so silly stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, stuff they took out of D&D, uh, like 3-5 and Pathfinder had the critical hit in the critical fumble decks. So like back then and nowadays, people would consider it punishing your players, you know, which uh, I, I don't think is correct. It is a situation in which you know, every person nowadays has that moment where they mess up. The The roofer up on your roof is hammering in nails and he smacks his thumb with an, uh, the hammer. That's a botch. You know, the kid in the living room that's running through the living room and throws a ball and smashes a window. That's a botch. You know? How many times have you bit your tongue while chewing food that you've done exactly. for the past 30 years? Exactly. So, yeah, I, I like that there are games out there that they're still doing that. And like I said, I... I don't, well, I don't know if I said it. Uh, I've played Exalted, uh, which is a white wolf game. Mm -hmm. Very similar, just once again, that's more of an oriental high fantasy of the gods kind of thing. Yep. The vampire, the masquerade and all that. Now, are they all like co-running systems? So you can run it that way. It mm -hmm. is, okay, <laughs> this gets tricky. So the golden rule, and of course this is a golden rule with any, any TTRPG, right? But it's, mm -hmm. it's, it is actually codified in all of the books that there are no rules. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if you want to play a mage game and you want to just assume all the other creatures don't exist, you could do that. Mm -hmm. I do the opposite. So the game that I run, they encounter vampires, they encounter hunters, they encounter you know whoever else is pertinent to the story. And okay. In my current game, I'm only running mages. Every player is a mage, end of story. But I mm -hmm. have, in the past, ran vampires and mages in the same party based on what the players felt like playing. Um, okay. I will make an argument that mages are a little bit OP compared to some of the other species. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, it's absolutely plausible within the confines of the game to, to have these, these disparate characters playing with one another there's some politicking you'd have to do as with mm -hmm. every other as with the underworld series for example uh vampires and werewolves hate each other they absolutely yeah. hate each other so to have two of them playing the same party would be real tricky again not impossible just not likely yeah it has to be some definite world ending shit for them to get along you know yeah. cthulhu coming back kind of stuff oh yeah you know um so i know you've said you've played D&D. Yep. Uh, and that you were tired of it. How long have you been playing tabletop role-playing games as a whole? So I, I've played, I've played since I would say late teens-ish. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 as you can imagine, as as is often the story with people playing TTRPGs. Super nerdy kid growing up, didn't a lot have a lot of friends until I was a little bit older. 
uh, played every video game you can name. I'm still a collector to this day. And I never really had a good group of people who really wanted to go, you know, headfirst into pen and paper games. It, it's a big undertaking, right? You got to buy the book or find the books, let's just say. Sometimes libraries will have yeah. um, You got to find the books. You got to find the decks. You got to find a group of players who are willing to meet up and learn this new rule set and all of that. Um, I did have a buddy of mine eventually find a group of people to play with. And, and we played a little bit of 3.5. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. I, we had a really good time. I, I played, a, what did I play? I played a, a, druid, a druid that could transform into a bear that also had a bear as a pet because I <laughs> wanted to just break the game as hard as humanly possible. Yeah. You could grapple every stroke, uh, every strike. Uh, you know, I played, um, what did I play? Like a dwarven cleric with a chain because every single time you attack with a chain, you can also trip. It, it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was always doing that, that goofy stuff, right? And it was really fun while it lasted. I, I enjoyed it. But then my friend and I discovered the world of darkness and we discovered yeah. it as many people do through the very classic, uh, Steam, it's on steam if you want to play it now, but very classic PC game, uh, vampire, the masquerade bloodlines, mm-hmm. which you have, if you haven't had a chance to play it, I would strongly recommend it. It's a great introduction to the principles of the TTRPG. Uh, and it's just a great story. Very fun. So, you know, we played, played a lot of that and said, well, Hey, let's, Let's buy those books. Let's find those books online. Let's find them live. Let's find these books and tr- give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And he ran a Vampire the Masquerade game when I was maybe, I'm going to say about 20 and I'm 34 now. So somewhere in yeah. that ballpark. And uh, the girl I was dating at the time played with us. So she and I were the players and, and my buddy was, was, the, was the storyteller at the time. And I've basically just been playing them on and off since then. Uh, a little bit later, I found the girl I was dating at the time and, uh, and I found this this group of players. So what's really funny is my friend's name is Pat. So Pat and I were playing vampire. It's a fairly easy entry to the system. And we discovered mage the Ascension. And we were like, this is bonkers. Just to mm-hmm. give you an idea of how mage works, unlike Harry Potter and Merlin and all of the classic wizards who have like spells, the concept of mage the Ascension is reality is flexible. Mm-hmm. Is that absolutely everything in the, in your world is not concrete or defined. So okay. instead of, shooting fireballs and, you know, stopping time, starting time and all of that fun stuff or transforming into a dragon, which is all possible. You don't have to find a grimoire to do any of that. A mm-hmm. mage is someone who has awoken to the truth of the world, right? There mm-hmm. is a thing inside of them called an avatar that can kind of bend the quintessence around them to do what they want. And when that connection to the avatar is, is established, the veil of, of false reality is washed away and they see for reality for what it is. Okay. Now the crux of it all is while you can turn into a fire breathing dragon in the middle of New York, reality does not play nice. Reality is consensus. If everybody mm-hmm. believes dragons aren't real, dragons are not real. If everybody believes Santa Claus is real, Santa Claus is real. Even if they're sleepers, even if they're not mages. So the trick to mages, how do I cast fantastic magic in a coincidental way? I could, mm-hmm. in the middle of a car chase, while I'm being chased by the technocrats, which are usually the main villain of the game, jump out, hold my hands out, shoot fire, and blow up their cars. But that's paradoxical. That's, that's, that's what's called vulgar magic. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know, maybe I'm a forces mage, and I throw my cigarette out the window, and it happens to go into the uptake of the car, the, uh, the, you know, the, the air intake, and their car explodes. It's extremely mm-hmm. unlikely, but still within the confines of enough reality. So there's that real playful kind of puzzle-solving aspect of it. So you can imagine discovering this game and saying, well, holy, holy moly, like how the hell do we even run this kind of a game? Mm-hmm. 
we held off for a while. I was working at a GameStop at the time, and there was a regular customer who came in uh, all the time. And, and one day I overhear him, something, 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 Mage the Ascension, and literally drop what I'm doing and scream, oh my God, you play Mage? And he and I just start chit-chatting. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you come play with us? We'd love to teach you the game. You know, he's an older gentleman. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so we went over and I, I played the hell out of Mage once a week, constantly, constantly, constantly. We played a little bit of Vampire together. We played a little bit of this and that. He's actually the one who introduced me to other pen and paper games like Rollmaster. Uh, that's what oh. I played. Yeah, Rollmaster or Chartmaster, as it's often called. That is definitely one that I haven't heard in a while. No. Um, wow. Oh, yeah. So we played a little bit of Rollmaster. I still have the books. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so play, played some of the Star Wars RPG and all of that. Played some Werewolf. And uh, yeah, so I mean, for that whole stretch of, you know, about five years or so, I was playing very regularly. Uh, and as of recent times, you know, I'm, I'm with my now wife for about 10 years. I've tried to get her to play vampire. I've tried to get her to play mage. We have. She doesn't enjoy it. It's perfectly fine. To each their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the nice thing is that we have the internet these days, and thankfully, a lot of my pals who have been interested, we've been able to play through Roll Twenty, through Discord, through Google Meet, or any of these things. So I'd say for the past ten years, on and off, I've run games through the internet. See, and that it's funny because that's only recently came up for me within the last two years of running online because, you know, most of the people I grew up with playing, we're still within like two or three hours of each other. Mm-hmm. And we can still designate one day out of the month to, you know, go get together, have a barbecue and sit down and play or but since all this, the pandemic and everything has been happening, you know, it, it forced me to go out and find people not at the local game shops. Cause that's what I used to do. I used to go to game shops and say, Hey, there's a bunch of tables playing, you know, and like that sit down, just watch and, you know, Hey, I got a game going over here. If you want to jump in next week, you know, that kind of stuff. But now it's the tavern Facebook group. It's mm-hmm. a good place to go. I, I met a lot of my players through there and now I'm running online consistently. It, it makes a heck of a difference. Yeah. So I, I completely get that. Has your players been continuously changing or are you still working with like the same group? So since that original group that I mentioned, uh, you know, from, from my GameStop days, so uh, I, I haven't played with them in quite some time. So for the past, like I said, roughly 10 years, I've had maybe four different groups play. Uh, yeah, I think about four. And we've just fallen out for one reason or another. Like what one, one group involved my wife. She wasn't thrilled about it. So she was like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I, I just don't want to play anymore. I'm not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that party kind of just slowly dissolved because of, you know, demands, right? New jobs, yeah. what have you. A couple years ago, uh, what are we up to? Four years ago or so, I started a new job. I, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. So I, I started mm-hmm. a new job at a pretty big company. And found a bunch of like-minded folks who had never really uh, dabbled with pen and paper games too much, but were always interested and started an in-person game after work one night a week. And Mm -hmm. that group went for quite some time, but then again, some of them moved, shifting priorities. Uh, My current group is sort of the ashes of that last work group. It's it's still a bunch of people I work with. Um, And we've been playing together as a group very consistently pretty much for four years. Uh, th- through different iterations, right? Um, okay. Ha- had a little bit of a rotating fourth, let's just say, just because of reasons, n- no negatives, mm-hmm. just it happens. But there's yeah. been a core group of uh, three players that have consistently been with me the past four years, and they are they are great. Actually, uh, one of them now runs the current game we're playing. So 
one of my players, I like to say, is on paternity leave. Congratulations to him. He had a kid. And so I said to my buddy Jamie, you know, who has a lot of D&D experience, but not a lot of World of Darkness experience, hey, man, I'm going to get DM fatigue sometime soon. It's just mm. going to happen. And would you like to learn how to run? And, and so for the past few weeks, we've been playing a campaign that he's come up with. Nice. So uh, what, do you, what are some things that you do to fight that DM fatigue other than, you know, passing the torch for a little bit? Is there any tips and tricks that you use yourself? I think my biggest... So I, I want to take a half step back here. Mm -hmm. There are one-shots and pre-made campaigns in the World of Darkness, just like there are in D&D. &D, and that's fine. Yeah. But it really does encourage you to try to come up with some creative elements, right? The creative mm -hmm. writing, that the role-playing aspect of World of Darkness is first and foremost at, at all costs, right? Like, don't get me wrong. You can play an action-packed, Fast and the Furious, crazy action game. And there are a lot of action sequences in my game. But it's very role-playing heavy, right? Mm -hmm. So... About 10 years ago, which is when I started, you know, really storytelling myself, uh, I had an idea for a story. And I liked some of the world building the book did. I didn't agree with all of it. And I said, all right, well, let's, let's shift some borders. This group's not in charge of this. This group is in charge of this. And I, I made my own backstory for what is New York in the world of darkness. Who, who actually runs it? Who's in the background? You can find mm. that in source books, but I, did, I wanted my own. And I wrote my own, my own story start to finish. It's like a three-act story that I've been trying to get people to get through, and they're enjoying it. It's just a lot of game. Um, mm -hmm. So part of my fatigue has been, hey, I have this great new group of players. We get 40 sessions in, and then the group dissolves. Okay, yeah. I have a new group of players. I guess I'll start back at day one, which is okay. Start back at day one. Get 35 sessions into it, and then the group dissolves because one of them moved away or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So part of it's been kind of playing the same tutorial level over and over again as a storyteller. <laughs> so that's been part of it. Now, that aside, I would say passing the torch has always been my first and foremost. I need a break. Let me take a breather. We'll come back to this, right? When, mm -hmm. when co Right before COVID hit, I needed a breather. When COVID happened, I was like, well, we should probably play because what else are we going to do? Uh, so yeah. playing through, through, through the internet. Um, but, you know, passing the torch is definitely the best one. Other than that, I think the best advice I can give to anybody who might be seeing themselves getting DM fatigue, surprise yourself, right? And get creative with the way you're presenting your story and, and channel those creative juices in ways that you don't normally do, right? DM fatigue, in my opinion, can often come from saying the same thing over and over again, doing the same thing over and over again, right? All right, you know, roll Dex, Dex Athletics to see if you jump over the thing. All right, roll Intelligence Academics to see if you remember this thing, whatever. I started getting really creative with the way that I mess with my players a little bit, right? So mm -hmm. I am not of the mindset of storyteller versus player or DM versus player. I don't like yeah. that mindset. I, I've always hated that mindset. I think D&D &D 1 was very much that. I'm glad it was. That they've, they've, they've gotten away from that a lot. Um, so for me, you said on, on, on one of the episodes I was listening to, to you on recently, you know, it's, it's, it's you and your players telling a story. Yes. For me... I'm sort of a natural kind of goofball and my mm -hmm. stories have very serious undertones and have very heavy duty stuff going on. But I, a lot of my characters can be a little bit goofy or fun or silly, right? My players themselves are kind of goofy and fun and silly. And I like that to go on just long enough for my players to get a false sense of safety and then slap them in the face with something absolutely <laughs> demented. So for example, 
big shout out to my co-host of my podcast, Darwin, for helping me out with this. Mm-hmm. The technocracy, which is in the world of darkness, and, and this is my interpretation. It's not exactly canonical. I view them as techno-Nazis. Their whole gimmick is we must control the paradigm of reality at all costs. Human beings are too stupid to understand that they could just use correspondence magic to talk across the globe. But if we sell them this little electronic box with a screen on it, we can convince them that satellites are doing the talking for them. Now, they are very much, at least in my campaigns, a success at all costs kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. That could mean something as simple as a ray gun, or it can mean what I'm about to describe to you. They were, my party was contracted by werewolves who are often like nature oriented. Let's, let's preserve nature. Let's preserve like Gaia herself. Right. Mm -hmm. They said, Hey, look, the technocrats are building something and they're trying to kick out our friends and we don't understand what their game plan is. Can you find out? Right. And to make a very long story short, the location of this new pharmaceutical company that the technocracy had fronted was a node, basically like a ley line, right? It was basically Mm -hmm. a font of magic and or or as they call it enlightened science and my party infiltrated did a great job they used a combination of magic and practical effects to kind of get through and eventually found a secret elevator and again they're goofing around with werewolves and they're hitting on the lady werewolf and you know you know my friend uh, sylvine who plays with us is always like the group mom and kind of rolling her eyes at how stupid everyone is and you know really silly kind of fun dynamic and then they push the button on the elevator and they go downstairs And they see what can be effectively called a server room of organs. And it was like a server room with like parts of computers and then like veins and blood pumping through it. And then like brain, you know, hearts and jars and like, but mixed with cybernetic stuff. And as the party, I draw a map and I'm like, where do you go? We go up this way. Okay. And I, I raise a volume slider just a little bit. They're like, what's that noise? I'm like, would you like to investigate? They go, yeah, sure. So they, they get closer, they get closer, and as they get closer, I'm raising the volume bar. What Darwin had done for me, what the party had found, was that the technocracy, who uses magic, and magic is basically pure inspiration, mm-hmm. has hooked up. This is going to be a bit of a trigger warning for those people who don't want to hear graphic details of things to children. It's not sexual, I promise, but it's it, it could be heavy. I apologize. Skip ahead about 40 seconds if you don't want to hear the horrible thing that the party saw. Did you skip ahead? Good. So for those of you who remain, um, the party found a giant supercomputer that was connected to all of those body parts server farms. And to the left of them and to the right of them were twin babies in uh, like glass. Um, Bell jars? No, not jars. Like a, like, a, like a crib. They were in the glass cribs. Okay. One baby, and the babies had tubes coming out of them and, and uh, you know, like electronic diodes attached to their head. You know, it looked like they, were, mm. like they were in medical equipment, right? One baby to their left was watching fun movies and, and delightful little screens of, of puppies and kittens. And he was a comfortable temperature and had a bottle and he was laughing, 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 laughing. The baby to the right was constantly uncomfortable, show, shown despicable images, and constantly poked and prodded with like metal and electronic rods to torture the baby. And he was constantly crying. And Darwin made an audio file where the left track was a baby laughing and the right track was a baby crying. And the technocracy built this because their joy and pain was an input in uh, like an IO input output for Mm -hmm. their messed up enlightened science for some kind of global communication network. And my party went from ha 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 to holy shit, what did we find here? And they are all parents, so you can imagine it really messed with them. 
And I know that sounds sadistic, and it was supposed to be. I was trying to convey a message here, but the level of creativity that I had to pour into really terrifying my party helped my DM fatigue a lot. I can say that much. Yeah, no, that's uh, that definitely. As a parent of three, I have three boys. That I can definitely see how that would have just probably shook me to the core. And like I've said before, when people are players they're more honest uh, yeah. because they get really into their characters and mm -hmm. it's going to sound weird, but like I could be playing a lawful evil doesn't care about anyone kind of person, but me as a person seeing that, you know, I probably would have been like, Nope, stop it now. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like we've said, it's, it's one of those trigger things, you know, some people might not be comfortable with that. And DMs should always talk to their players. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I did. I want to be very clear to anyone listening. I did. I didn't tell them what was coming, right? Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of... Um, so, so, Babes Ascension, Vampire the Masquerade has a lot of ties to Christianity. The first mm -hmm. vampire was Cain from Cain and Abel. Okay. Um, so, by the books, it has a lot of ties to Christianity, a lot of ties to religion in general. And... I was very, before anybody set foot in front of the table, right? I said, mm. there's going to be religious concepts, both good and yep. bad. And if you're not okay with that, you have to tell me now. There's going to be very messed up, terrible things that you see happen to fictional, but people. Mm. Are you going to be okay with that? And they gave me a green light across the board. So I want to be very clear that I, yeah, I agree yeah, with yeah. you a billion percent. Role-playing can get very real. And if your party's not ready for it, you've done a bad job. Mm. And just upfront about everything. I mean, obviously, most people aren't going to be going in with some kind of sex torture fantasy, you know. Of course. But I mean, if you if you're watching movies like Hellraiser or anything like that, that like uh, one game that I ran, I told them this is going to be a very uh, very dark type of game, uh, similar to The Hills Have Eyes. You yeah. know, people have been going missing. You're part of a special forces team that are going out to Montana to look for this. Uh, I believe we were running the D20 modern system at that point. And uh, yeah, it's you can you can definitely get graphic with a lot of stuff. And fade to black is always helpful. I, I completely appreciate your candor with your players and being able to have that level of security. That is what separates good tables and bad tables is even if a person might not be comfortable with the stuff if they're comfortable with the person running the game they can view that stuff and separate that game from reality yes you know they they might be comfortable but the dm will always know hey if that person's shaking it's like okay we're gonna take a break we're gonna fade to black we're yeah. not gonna go any further yep. you know yeah. And, 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 you know, to that point, I end every single session with how do we think? Did we have fun? Is there anything I could be doing better? Is there anything mm -hmm. you want to see more or less of? I end every session just, hey, let's let's take a sniff test. Let's take a check. Is everyone OK? Is everyone having fun? You know, yeah, not all of my sessions are that bleak and dark. The very next session, they found a tailor in the middle of New York City and got magic suits with unique abilities for each and every one of them with very fun fashion sense. So I want to be very clear that like you've got to have that mixture if your party's not ready for it. Yeah, like you said, uh, occasionally slap them in the face, get them, yeah. you know, shock them. You want them to be off balance, in my opinion. 
so real quick, since you only have die tens during this game mostly, yep. um, it, it might not. It might be a little bit a weirder question, but I'm asking every DM. Sure. Dice are they just plastic, or do you actually think they have a mind of their own? So, I I I'm the world's largest skeptic when it comes mm-hmm. to mysticism more broadly. And I'm an okay. engineer, right? So it's funny. My, my wife loves horror movies, loves them. I find them painfully boring. I, I know that makes me sound like such a, a, a stick in the mud. I, I have Star Wars tattoos. I love fantasy. I love science fiction. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it, I think it was The Conjuring. At one point, the ghosts are haunting something. So they call the police. What are the police mm. going to do? Shoot the ghosts? It's ridiculous, <laughs> right? So for me, no, I don't think the dice have a mind of their own. They're just chunks of plastic. Some of them are balanced better than others. Now, all of that having been said... Again, we play on roll 20 right now. It's a lot of, you know, slash R, 5D, 10 to just digitally mm-hmm. roll the dice. I think that there's something to a bad night and something to some yeah. bad juju. I definitely think that there's something there. You know, we were playing a game the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, and just one, 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 the whole freaking <laughs> night. And I'm just like, it was my buddy Brian. I'm like, Brian, man, what is what's going on, man? Like, you all right? Like, mm. you got to talk to you about something, man? Like, so I, I would make an argument here that I don't believe in bad dice, but I do believe in bad, you know, bad mystic energy coming forth out of the human rolling those dice, perhaps. You know okay. what I mean? There's, there's some bad luck out there, and I've seen it and experienced it firsthand. Oh, yeah. My, uh, my party actually just experienced that um, this last Thursday. We had to postpone a game because we had people missing, but we pushed the uh, stream a little bit later. But they uh, they went to a temple of Jubilex and they're working their way through this place. Uh, they're fighting illithids and uh, intellect devourers and all that. And they come to this long, five foot wide, like sixty foot long corridor, you know. And they're trying to run at this point, and they just nobody's even taking the chance to do investigations. They just book it down that hall, and they set off the first lightning bolt trap. And that lightning bolt. It's only eight die six, but since we're playing on roll 20, I don't actively roll. It rolled 42 out of 48 damage. Oh, boy. Every one of the players failed their deck save. Oh, <laughs> boy. And I'm just, I'm looking at my screen and I'm thinking, oh, this is bad. They're, they're definitely going to take their time looking down the hallway as they continue, though. Nope. Fuck it. Just keep running. <laughs> so they hit the second lightning bolt trap at the end of the hallway. At which point, you know, it streaks down and it does 35 points. And I think only one person made the save on that one. As three of the party drop, uh, one of them's at like two hit points and the last one is at like 15. And they've all got, you know, upper 60 to 80 hit points. Wow. So it's like, because they were just in a rush, they almost TPK'd themselves. Yeah. And the cool thing is, like, on my stream, it's you can see where I have the traps placed, but the players can't on roll 20. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> so they're like, are you sure there was a trap there? I'm like, you can go to the stream right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, I'm kind of, I, I'm like on the fence. Like, I, I have seen people that have dice sp- for specific things, and they they roll like crazy for those specific things. Mm. Like my buddy, will, he has a skill dice. He only <laughs> uses it for skills and he generally rolls really good with it. Yep. But if he forgets and he rolls that skill dice for like attacks, he'll roll one, 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 you know, 
So it's, I think you're right where it's more the energy you exude. If you believe it's going to happen with the dice, it'll happen. So yeah, I, I, I can see that entire line of thinking. Out of the World of Darkness series, obviously you're running Mage right now. You're a big fan of all of them. Which one is your favorite? Oh boy, that's a complicated question. Okay. <sighs> I think... I think because... Man, you, got, you, you might have stumped me on this one. I think Mage <laughs> is my favorite, right? And it's because mm-hmm. of the flexibility of it all. Um like I so so in mage there's these nine spheres as they're called mm-hmm. correspondence matter mind life whatever and depending on how many dots between 0 and 5 in each of those spheres you have is the kinds of reality bending that you can do as it corresponds to that schools of magic basically it's kind of like schools of magic we okay. we define them more as like parts of reality right so if I want to teleport somewhere, I probably need correspondence. It's the magic of space. Now, mm-hmm. not outer space, like literal physical space in the world around you. You can use correspondence to co-locate things. You can use correspondence to have perfect direction sense, perfect spatial awareness, things like that. And because there's no defined spells, you have infinite possibility. You know, I've had players get as creative, like I said before, about throwing the cigarette at the window and blowing up the car to the point where they're running away for their lives and don't have a choice and use matter magic to dig their fists into the asphalt of, of you know, of Broadway and pull mm. cement out of the ground into a giant wall to stop a car that was chasing them because they were just that desperate to get away. I mean, it is the world and beyond is at your fingertips and the level of the marriage of technology versus mysticism that's baked into the conflict of the mages versus the technocrats. And it's just, it's such an incredible setting it's such an incredible rule set. And if, you're, if, if you have that creative mind, and it's okay if you don't, it's, it's a, your infinite playground, right? I have friends who don't like being that creative, and that's okay. And for them, they like Vampire a lot more because you mm-hmm. have specific skill sets, and each level does a very specific thing, and it's well-defined how you're supposed to use it. And that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I love that infinite creativity of it all. I mean, heck, I wrote my own story. Of course I want infinite creativity. Yeah. Um, now, that having been said, the one game I haven't been able to play is Wraith. Uh, it's called Wraith the Oblivion. Okay. And it's the one I've been trying to play. So, hey, listeners out there, if you run Wraith and you're looking for a player, I'd be interested. Come message me. Come email me. <laughs> uh, the reason I'm so interested, I don't know a tremendous amount. I know a lot about the lore, but for the actual mechanics of the gameplay, every character is run by two people. Okay. Two human players. And the idea is... It's like your shade and your like and your and your person. So it's like the good side and the bad side, and you're kind of playing against each other through the story. So you can okay. have a party of four characters with eight players. Okay. Does that kind of make sense? What I'm saying? That has me interested because, like, I I've ran those games where like I've ran two concurrent parties, you know, a good party and an evil party, and they were both working towards the same goal but in different fashions to offset the other parties. And that's, that sounds almost exactly what, you know, that is. Yeah. I might be explaining it poorly. So if you're out there and you've played it longer and I'm explaining it poorly, please message us because I apologize, but that's the way that it was explained to me. Mm. We're going to kind of move to tabletops are great. And why? Sure. Uh, Obviously this plays, I, I would think this plays more into, I believe they call it the drama system. Yep. So, 
I want you to pitch Mage of the Ascension, the World of Darkness series, Werewolf, any of that. If you had to pitch it to somebody on the street to actively get their attention, to get them to want to play, how would you pitch it? So the way I usually pitch it to people is, you know, if you want to play a pen and paper game, a TTRPG, that is unlike a lot of what you're used to, is very different from Dungeons and Dragons, is very different from, you know, Chartmaster, as I said before, or, or anything like that. It, it's 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 for you, right? You know, if you're less interested in elves and orcs and and dwarves and all of that stuff, but you still want to get into TTRPGing in general, play one of these games because it will take place in modern day. You don't have to get your mind into the old world, into the fantasy medieval if you don't want to. You can certainly play there if you'd like. In addition, it's so in my the way I play it. Let's be very clear: the way I play it, it's not rule heavy. Mm-hmm. You know you don't necessarily need to know the ins and outs of the way that short rest versus long rest or a sorcerer versus a warlock or, you know, a rogue versus a hunter. You don't need to know any of that. All I need to know is who is your person? What do you do? And we'll go from there and we'll figure it out together how you want to play the game. And of course, D&D allows itself to do that as well. But by its very nature, baked into its DNA, it's a little bit more rule heavy. We Mm. know that a barbarian behaves x y and z and that a sorcerer behaves x y and z you know maids the ascension you can be a badass monk and at the exact same time a crazy scholar who remembers a bunch of stuff or you know you could be the ultimate stealth character or whatever you want all baked into whatever character you've written so for me the way i run my games i have my story of course and then whoever wants to play i literally take hours or sometimes 15 minutes depending on how much time they want to spend and write their characters with them. And I say, don't worry about what kind of mage, what are your spheres? Don't worry about any of that stuff. Forget all of it. Who are you? What is the person you're going to play? Let's start mm-hmm. there. And then we can say, oh, yeah, you know, you are, you know, uh, a, a person with a disability who grew up in, in Manhattan. Well, you probably don't have a high firearm stat. You probably don't. You know, mm-hmm. you probably don't have a high melee stat. Doesn't mean you can't. I'm not disparaging it, you know, not trying to be ableist here. But just from a logical perspective, Manhattan doesn't have a lot of guns. You probably wouldn't have access to a lot of pistols growing up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you know, or or you know, maybe you, you grew up in the Bayou. Well, well, guess what? You know, you might you might speak two languages. You know, that might give you a linguistic point. You speak French, or maybe you speak three. You speak French, Creole, and English. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. So, so I start there and kind of build my way out. And I think that people like that and find it less intimidating. It's a lot more upfront work, but when you mm-hmm. have that basis of here's what the character is role-playing becomes a breeze. I no longer have to check the rule book every two minutes to see if my character is capable of doing this. I ask Joe, he says, roll these dice, and we move forward. <laughs> well, I'm sold on it. I, I definitely won't. Like I said, uh, I used to play Exalted. It's been uh, 20s. I was in my 20s. So yeah. it's been years, but uh, just listening about it and your passion makes me want to easily go out and buy the book now and learn and run it for some of my home groups. Yeah, they're actually releasing uh, what's called the 20th edition. So there's uh, V20, Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Vampire the 20th, mm-hmm. Mage the 20th. Uh, I think that they just released Werewolf the 20th. Um, so it's a 20th anniversary. So to just mm-hmm. give a quick, little, quick, very short little history, there was the original editions of the books. Then there was the second edition of the books, which is primarily what I run, which is just tweaks and updates, you know, nothing, mm-hmm. no crazy, crazy, crazy overhauls. Then there was, in like the early 2000s, there was this whole shift. So Mage the Ascension didn't exist anymore. It was Mage the Awakening. Vampire the Masquerade didn't exist anymore. It was 
uh, Vampire the Requiem. And a okay. lot of the lore changed, and the times that you're supposed to be playing and changed. A lot of things changed. And I didn't care for it. I thought it was pretty bad. The 20th anniversary edition books that are coming out kind of are a return to form to those first and second editions, completely streamlined. Just okay. everything. It's, it's like fifth edition, right? Fourth edition wasn't so great. Fifth edition was a lot better and does a lot of what 3.5 did, but in a more accessible way. And, and, mm. and 20 is a lot like that. Okay. Okay. I will definitely have to keep that. You said that the 20th of Mage isn't currently out, though. No, uh, Vampire and Mage are out. Okay. So uh, Mage I is think the... Werewolf is the next one that either just came out or it's about to come out. I can't quite remember. Okay. So I will definitely pitch that to my players. I'll try and pick that book up. Yeah. If you ever want to chit chat, talk about it, rule check, anything like that, hit me up. Oh, I very, definitely. Very familiar with the rules. Trust me. I, anyone I ever talk to about role playing games, I consistently talk to. It's very easy with this type of uh, gaming platform to make friends and build those lasting relationships. Uh, with that, um, I know you haven't been playing. I mean, you've been playing a lot longer than most people. You said about 10 years, 10 to 15 as a player, 10 running, right? Uh, uh, yeah, 14. that's about right. Yep, yep, yeah. got that. Has tabletop role-playing games changed your life in any particular fashion? Has it done something that has endeared it to you more than any other, like card games, video games, anything like that? Yeah, I, I think that there's two... There's two major avenues here that I want to discuss, right? Mm -hmm. The first one is I, I like being creative. You know, I, I write in my spare time because I have ideas and I like writing it down. Even if they're bad, it doesn't matter. It's just fun for me, right? I like mm -hmm. being creative. So the first avenue that TTRPGs, and especially running them, honestly, even playing them has changed me, is it's constantly flexed that creative muscle, right? I'm yeah. always coming up with characters. One of the characters that I ran in Mage the Ascension um, when I was a player, before I even ever ran a game, uh, his, uh, he was an Irishman who, who lived in Florida and ran a junkyard okay. who had uh, multiple personality disorder. And every personality was tied to one of the nine spheres. So if something traumatic was happening to him and it was somehow connected to forces or somehow connected to mind or whatever, my DM, my storyteller would roll a D100 to see, against like a willpower check basically, to say, well, does he change personalities? And I would have a completely different character sheet for each personality with different stats and abilities and, and sphere control and all of that stuff, different voices, different backgrounds in their minds, all of that. And I would just have to change on the fly, right? Mm -hmm. And it's and that really helped me get to be a better storyteller, I could tell you that much, because you have to just keep changing characters. It wasn't rapid fire, but enough. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, kind of keep those creative juices flowing. So that, that's Avenue one. I liked being, I like being creative about it. Mm. Second Avenue is my current group and, and the three core players that I mentioned a moment ago that, that have been with me for the past about four years or so are friends I've made at work. I work for, let's just say a big corporation and leave it mm. there. Two of the players that I had were new to the company, didn't have a lot of friends, worked in the same business unit that I was working in. And we're all engineers and scientists and we were, their boss introduced me and whatever. And we were sitting there having lunch. And I said, Hey, you know, so-and-so mentioned that maybe you played a little bit of D and D I, I, it's not D and D, but I'm, I'm trying to get together a group of people to play this game. Is that something you might be interested in? And they're mm -hmm. like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, you know, it's, it's, it's this group of people. So it's, you know, my buddy, Brian and my, my buddy, Alex and, and my friend, Sylvine and, and my friend, Jamie, and, and we all just kind of 
found each other in this big 4,000, you know, build people yeah. building and, and have been really close friends ever since. You know, I'm, I'm involved in their kids' lives. It's like, you know, Uncle Joe, basically, and we have barbecues and we, we hang out outside of the gaming world. And my wife has obviously become very close with all of these people and their significant others. And, you know, it's really helped build camaraderie and friendship. And honestly, it's really anyone out there who has a bunch of older friends that you haven't seen in a while or you don't have a good chance to talk to, what an amazing way to kind of force yourself to to keep that relationship going. And I, I, force yourself to keep it going, such a negative connotation. I didn't mean it that way. But <laughs> what, what a convenient way to keep in touch with close friends, right? Once a month, once a week, once every other week, once a quarter, mm. however often you can, you know you're going to sit down digitally or in person and talk to each other for two, three hours. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm still getting together with guys that, you know, I've been playing with for 20 years and we still do it about, uh, well, it depends on the per, like the person that I play with, but it's like every, every other week or once a month we try to, it really builds those lasting relationships. And trust me, uh, especially with today's social media, you know, everybody's your friend situation, the relationships you build through the the contact with these games is it's unheard of nowadays, almost yeah. uh, the trust you build. So every DM has a different amount of people at their table. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your preferred safe space for players? How many do you want to keep it around before you start losing your mind? Five is really when it gets to start being a bit of a challenge four, and i know this is such a generic answer but there's a reason for that four mm -hmm. is an ideal number for me uh i would say three or four is very good two is a little bit thin doesn't mean you can't make it work um I, there's plenty of great two people parties that i've heard of out there it's just for me it, i want at least like the trio right i want the three stooges you know mm -hmm. i want the trio to, you know the, you, you build this triangle and this kind of dog chasing its own tail dynamic is great four is obviously a lot better five works just fine i've ran five a lot once you get to six seven i've ran a party of eight before and it's just chaos yeah um one thumbs down that i have for babes ascension and i think this is a little bit true of ttrpgs in general is combat can get a little tricky to run mm -hmm. so the way combat works is at the start you can do it every turn i choose not to i do it at the start of an encounter you roll your initiative which is your wits your plus your alertness um yep. and Based on a difficulty of four, you tell me your amount of successes, that's your initiative for the combat, right? The way that World of Darkness does their combat is, so you have your initiative list, best to worst, right? So highest initiative to lowest initiative, including the, the enemy combatants. Mm -hmm. You declare your action in reverse order. So the person with the worst initiative declares their action first. Okay. And so forth and so forth and so forth until you get to the person with the best initiative declaring their action, and then the action priority happens in the correct order. So you declare worst to best, and then you act best to worst. Okay. So if you think about it from a logic perspective, the person with the best initiative is going to have the time to look around the room and be aware enough to say, okay, you know, Jimbo is doing that, and Helen is doing that, and that evil guy is doing that. Here's my action. Kind of react to what everyone else has declared. Mm -hmm. And then they, they act immediately, right? Versus the person with the worst initiative is like, I'm, a, I'm just going to walk up and start shooting wildly because they don't know what anybody else is doing yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now that's cool. And I like the kind of thought that's put into there, but you can imagine with eight people. Yeah. That gets to be slow. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem I have with it. That's 
that's kind of like uh so i don't know if you ever played advanced dungeons and dragons or not 2e um yeah. they th back in that system they had a similar initiative system right you would uh roll the die 20 you would add your weapon speed all that kind of stuff but the way they would do it is everybody says because everything is happening at the same time for that turn everybody says what they're doing right the we used to like write it down like i'm gonna move i'm gonna attack this is who i'm attacking and we would slide that note to the dm so that nobody else knew what anyone else was doing so because it's all spur of the moment but the people who are at the back of it and ish on the very bottom you know by that point the entire battlefields moved around their target that they were going to attack is now out of the way so they are they take off running, but that first person was so much faster that they're already across the room by the time they get over there in the chaos. Mm -hmm. So I I like I like how that's done. The the worst to top and then top to worst. Yep, exactly correct. It's a very cool system. It just if you're not quick about it, it, it can get a little a little mm. bogged down. But it works very well. I could I could definitely see moving that to other tabletop role playing games to uh, Keep your players on your toes. Um, uh, as we're going to talk about later, we're going to talk about keeping your players invested. Yep. So do you, I don't, I don't know if you have this issue with the World of Darkness games, but do you prefer to roll some skill checks for your players so that they don't know? Or do you want them to roll them out loud or out in public, I guess? Like uh, limited skill checks, like... Your rogue is sneaking. Well, the rogue might not know how well he is sneaking. You know, he's just like, I'm stealthing. And then you roll behind your screen and let, uh, well, you certainly believe that you're being silent, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or, you know, the same thing with skill uh, knowledge checks, you know. So the way that I try to mitigate that in my games, or, or, or perhaps the better phrasing is, is, is implement that in my games, I like to sometimes hide the difficulty from them. So they're still the ones rolling the dice, but they don't know how many successes they have. Mm -hmm. So like I said, the average difficulty is six in a system that goes from one to 10. It could be one, it could be 10, it could be four, it could be seven, who knows? So if I don't want them to know how well they've performed, instead of just rolling for them, I say, well, we'll roll these two things. And they'll say, well, what's the difficulty? And I'll say, well, just roll those two things. Let's just see what happens. And then okay. I'll, you know, kind of do it. Now that works both ways, right? Because sometimes I need to take a little bit of storyteller's prerogative, DM prerogative, and I really need them to pass this. So I'm mm -hmm. not telling them the difficulty because they're just going to succeed. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, so that's usually how I, how I fix that. Let's immediately shift over our focus to keeping our players invested. This is our DM's tips for the this chapter. What are, we're going to start kind of broad. And I'm just going to say, what what are some of the tips and tricks you use to keep them actively invested, not on their phone sitting at the table, especially with players like myself? I am fine DMing, but as a player, I have issues keeping focus because I have ADHD. Sure. So as a DM, I'm constantly moving and my mind is constantly going so I can keep track of everything. But as a player, there's downtime. What are you doing to keep people on the same page so that they know what's happening before their turn? I kind of 
talked about this earlier, and I'm going to bring it up again. The best, there's the old adage, right? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm -hmm. And I believe that holds true as a storyteller or a DM, right? So I start, as I mentioned, by helping my players write their character. And then mm -hmm. I take what I now know about their background and I weave it into the storyline. So they're constantly on the lookout for, is this based on my background or someone else's? Who am I going to learn about now? What am I going to learn about now? So off the bat, if they're already heavily invested in their character and making sure their character is played the way that they want it to be played, mm -hmm. already the best medicine you could apply. So that would be my first bit of advice is make sure your, your players are investing in, your, in their characters. You know, I think that it is a tabletop role-playing game. It's okay. I'm not here to shame or gatekeep anybody who likes to just roll some dice and beat people up. That's perfectly yeah. fine, right? No harm, no foul. But mm -hmm. I think it's pretty obvious that if your characters are if your players are invested in the characters, they're just going to be more invested more broadly. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's step number one. Step number two, I we talked about this. You want to be upfront with your players. Mm -hmm. I'm also upfront with my players about how do you want to play this game? Now that we've written your character, we've kind of worked on the character sheet. How do you play? Like, what, what is your style of play? My mm -hmm. one friend is more passive, kind of reacting to things. He wants to wait and see. He's, he's not a big talker. That's perfectly fine. I make sure that at least some of my campaign or, or play sessions are more that kind of stuff, right? He has one character that we affectionately call Tennis Ninja. Because he beats the crap out of people, but also plays tennis. <laughs> so, you know, I try to make sure that there's a fair amount of stealth and combat for him to play. Mm -hmm. You know, a, another friend of mine is very take charge, take action. You know, I never have to worry about that player because I make sure that they're kind of in charge of the action that's going to be going forward. Yep. Um, I would say that another thing that I do is I, I have a, a slurry of NPCs or monsters or whatever, and I will go out of my way to engage specific players if I feel like they are either distracted or maybe not as invested in this week's game or something like that. So, you know, maybe my buddy Brian, who's not a big talker, maybe I really want him, I, I'm worried that he's not enjoying himself as much. So I'm going to, you know, the, instead of going to the person who's the smooth talker, the girl at the bar is going to hit on him instead, or the guy at the bar, mm. the, at the bar, the wraith at the bar is going to hit on him instead because it just adds a little bit of dynamism. And then it actually gets the other two players involved because they're like, whoa, 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 like, that's not his role. Like, so we better go help out. Like, it kind of forms that party back together. You yep. know, pull people into fish out of water situations and chaos reigns, but you know, you're, it's controlled chaos. You're not trying to screw your party over. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say there's a reason being a DM is so much work, right? There, there's, it's, it's not impossible. It's not the hardest thing I've ever done. I, I honestly don't do a lot of prep work anymore, and, and that's not always a good thing, but I think I've, I've, I've earned that privilege with how long I've been playing this game. Yes. I just, kind of just improv it as I go, you know, within the confines of my bullet-pointed story. And, you know, I think that leaving myself that level of flexibility lets me just throw out whatever's on my mind, you know? Mm. Maybe, maybe a character who I think hasn't been well invested in this game this week said something silly. Well, I'm going to make that silly thing a true thing. It's canon to the story, and now we have to worry about it. Yep. Um, that goes along with, like, open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. uh, I like running things for my players where uh, I leave them open-ended. Like, okay, your party has been doing this work in this town for a bit. Um, you've completed all your missions. You go to end up back at the safe house, and you've got a gang 
waiting at the safe house, but nobody knew what you did. And why is that gang there? You know, it, it keeps the, it makes them think about that. And if you, you know, right after the combat end the session on that, they have to stew two weeks on sitting there. Who knew, you know, yeah. obviously no one else in our party, you know, nobody in our party did anything or did they, is there a mole in our party? It almost guarantees that they will come back for the next next session because they're like, I have to know who did this. Why, why did, why did we get jumped? <laughs> you know? So that would be kind of like one of my tips is, you know, for DMs, leave things open-ended. Yeah. You can end every session on a tense note, but it eventually gets boring mm -hmm. if you do it every now and then. And even red herrings with the stuff. Just if you end a game on a positive note at times, like, hey, you succeeded, you're resting at the inn. They feel great. You know, they're they're amped up that they succeeded. They come back because they're like, I want to know what our next adventure is. Mm -hmm. You leave it open-ended. Who did this? It's definitely... It's definitely a great way to keep people invested. Now, with you talking about how you actively take a hand in backgrounds, most DMs will with backstories. Back uh, what is your hard line for a background that still enables your players to have that uh, creative freedom? Because obviously, uh, I, I talked a little bit with my last guest about this, like Red Dragon, you know, the the town drunk says he slew a red dragon, but he's a level one fighter. You know, uh, they want to be the hero. They want to do this. You want to give them that story that they killed that dragon. So it was like, oh, well, there was a dragon assaulting the tower town. And that drunk got the one lucky shot that found the niche in the, the scales and it fell. Well, now the town is looking at you like you're some big hero. They hop all this expectation on you and the first battle breaks out and your character runs away. Mm -hmm. You know, now you have to role play into the you're a coward and everyone knows it. Yep. The stipulation. So where is your hard line with working with players on that? Like, where do you say, uh, I'm sorry, this particular thing won't work, but we can make it work this way? You know, it's it's very case by case, right? I don't know that I have... I mean, look, let's be very, very clear. I never have and never will play with a person who would ever run a character like what I'm about to describe. But obviously, you know, nothing particularly offensive or, or insensitive to any kind of person or culture or choice or lifestyle or anything like that, right? Goes without mm -hmm. saying. But obviously, that's the number one. I've never encountered that in my entire time playing. I'm very fortunate. But I don't play with people who are like that. So why the hell would I even find myself in that situation? As far as improbability of story, I think that I kind of like when they throw the improbable at me because mm -hmm. then it forces me to figure out, can we make this probable? And what are the ramifications of it? So for example, um, one character, as I mentioned earlier, is a famous tennis pro. Well, mm -hmm. You haven't played tennis in 15 years, but you still look like 25. You understand that there's going to be ramifications there, right? That might not make sense in the world we live in today, but like, okay, mm -hmm. well, there's going to be ramifications there. And are you okay if we kind of do this, this, and this? Or, you know, uh, you, you know, like I mentioned with you know the kid growing up in New York, but he's got five points in firearms, right? Obviously, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's why I try to start with the story first and work my way towards skills and, and talents. 
Mm-hmm. And if they're going to be hard nosed about it, okay, well, can we tweak your backstory? Were you an army brat? You know, did you have a, a uncle who lived, you know, across the border in Jersey or Connecticut? And, and, you know, they had, you know, how can we work, work with me on this? What can we get going on? I would say nothing's off the table for me unless it like breaks Euclidean geometry or something like that. But to, but to be honest in the world of mage where everything is suspect and reality is bendable, anything is possible. So mm. sure. You are a level one who killed the red dragon. You know how you did it? Because you got everybody in your neighborhood to believe that you did it. And because reality is consensus, you did it. Whether or not mm. you remember doing it is irrelevant to the point that you did. Yeah. Um, so I would say for me, I don't really know that I have a hard line. It's been very few times have I ever been like, no, 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 hold on a minute. Like, I- I'm really struggling to remember any time that I just flat out said no. Okay. Yeah. I honestly, I'm I'm very much the same way. It's I've always said that the games are collective storytelling and if the person wants to have slain the red dragon, you let them slay it, but you let them know that there's connotations to that, that red dragon, it had a clutch that clutch is out there in the world. They think that you killed that dragon. The town thinks that you're a runaway or a coward that ran away. Now that's an NPC reaction. That's going to spread to other cities. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to start developing that name. You know, uh, World of Darkness has two additional, let's call them flavor texts, but there is some gameplay mechanics to them as well, uh, mm. called Backgrounds, and then the other one is called Merits and Flaws. Yes. So that Backgrounds is, you know, wealth or fame or, you know, there's certain like supernatural ones as well that you can have, you know, uh, uh, you know, you can have a famous mentor or something like that, uh, mm. you know, black market connections, whatever it might be. And then Merits and Flaws, I, I think D&D has something like this, if I'm not mistaken, but... Uh, it's basically, you know, flaws are blind, or they could be, you know, uh, uh, magically inept, or they can be strangeness. You're just kind of a weird person who people seem to take notice of as you walk down the street. Uh, mm-hmm. And then merits would be ambidextrous or lucky or something like that. So I think that for someone like my buddy, who's, who's tennis ninjas, I describe them, well, you know, you're going to take a background that's fame. And people mm. might recognize you when you really do not want them to recognize you. Yeah. You're John McEnroe, you know, at this yeah. point. Yeah. And everybody wants your autograph, even though you haven't been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. You know, I, and I, that's a de- now, is he actually like a silent killer? Is that why you call him a <laughs> tennis ninja or? So, so I, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to this at some point, but, you know, I, I know everyone likes to talk about some of their favorite TTRPG moments, right? Mm-hmm. And he has one of my all-time favorites because of his role playing. So as okay. I mentioned, in real life, he's he's more of the quiet type, right? Brilliant. I mean, this is one of the most brilliant human beings I've ever met in my entire life. You know, degrees out the wazoo. Super smart guy. He just happens to be more reserved. And I think that that combination surprises the hell out of me constantly with what he ends up coming out with as a role player because I don't expect mm-hmm. it of him so he's playing this tennis ninja he's part of this uh this group called the akashic brotherhood it's one of the traditions you can belong to and they believe awakening happens through mind through meditation through diligence you know it's, it's like the bruce lee of the world you don't have to be that tropey about it right mm. but it's, it's that sort of discipline and meditation will set you free kind of concept okay so he trains in a martial art in the game it's called do or do it's just d-o and the mm. idea is that it is the basis of all martial arts that have ever existed belong to Doe. And 
there he's also a bit of a pacifist it's not that he's against violence it's just he always believes there's probably a better way we could probably figure out a way to solve this problem so they're in a fight they're getting attacked and he goes all right i, I always reward my players for flavor if you can tell me the coolest way that you do something i'll make the role easier i'll give you extra dice i'll do something for you because of how good of a job you've been describing it to me mm-hmm. so he goes all right well, I just punched this guy behind me. So as I'm turning around, I pick up the table in front of me and I just hurl it into the next guy. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome. You're using physics, you're using momentum. I think that's cool. And that's going to be a cool effect. And I'm like, well, do you want to like bash his brains in? Or are you trying to like pin him against the wall? And he goes, I think I'm really just trying to knock him unconscious. And I'm like, all right, fine. But he didn't roll a controlled throw. He rolled a throw. Mm-hmm. So he ends up throwing the table, getting like, 12 successes does like you know eight points of damage which in the game is like game breaking i mean that you killed the guy basically Mm -hmm. um and i'm like all right man i start describing the scene you throw the table it hits him he bashes up against the wall his skull fractures you see blood running down his face he goes i'm sorry and then just walks away (laughs) and we're just losing it just dying laughing right so i I don't even remember where i was going with this because i'm so (laughs) thrilled that we got to talk about that but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, that's just sort of the way you got to do it. I think we were talking about how we call him Tennis Ninja. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, yes, any... yes, yes, because because he plays tennis and he has these crazy martial arts abilities, so he's Tennis Ninja. Okay. He also has high stealth. It, that makes sense. I And see, that's kind of what I was like getting at is we were talking a little bit about backgrounds and everything. It's like he's the John McEnroe, but he's been this trained assassin so now he's on like a mission or something he has to keep stealthy and like all these people are seeing him on the street yeah. i that's that's the kind of detrimental um flavoring that keeps players actively looking because at, at that point they're like okay well who is actively on the street at this point you know yeah uh do are there cars lining the sides that i can go behind and try and stealth you know is it is this rush hour you know am i going to get mobbed so with uh keeping your players invested using their backgrounds and things that they have said about themselves if you can weave that into any narrative that's a great way to keep uh people's attention on what you are doing because they will actively be afraid I don't know if afraid's worried. They're more cautious, yes. And uh, that's a that's a good way to do it. Also, agendas, agendas are a a a huge thing to keep people interested and invested. Work towards you know something I do is I talk to my players and I'm like, okay, well your your character, I want you to give me three life goals for them, you know. say we're playing star wars and we're starting level one so the the padawan is like my life goal is i want to be a i want to be a jedi knight i want to become a master and then his other goal is i want to set my backwater planets people free because they're normally slaves or something like that so when you go into it you you look at it and you're like okay so you're gonna have a lot of hardships because as you start coming up in the order, the masters are going to see that you want to be this, not, you know, you're striving for perfection. They're seeing that you want the titles, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. So maybe it makes your journey a little bit more difficult 
because the masters are at that point are like, Hey, you know, you're becoming prideful. You're thinking that you're owed the title of Jedi Knight. You're thinking you're owed the, the mantle of master and, Oh, you know, we get to, and we could go a little bit dark with the background of your backwater people. You go to finally see people and you see that they're all enslaved at this point by the empire or they're actively off world at this point. You know, maybe you were a Wookiee Jedi for yeah. all we know. So having those, uh, having an agenda can easily help focus your players because if they have that, they want to accomplish things. Yes. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And, you know, I, I think that I could see a huge... Actually, I might take that and steal that straight out of your mouth. I might start doing agendas for my characters. <laughs> the way I kind of weave that in is, you know, everyone has a mentor and they're based on their backgrounds and yada, 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 yada. Fine, mm -hmm. right? But, like, I think that for me, one of my big things to keep players going is also showing them like real progress i think is something that we can kind of culminate a lot of this together so whether it's agendas or focusing on the background weaving it into the story showing them progress you know you said yourself you could just end up at the tavern asleep well in my mm. game my kind of house rule the way world of darkness works you level up individual uh, attributes or abilities or like you don't level up you spend experience points that against a cost to increase firearms to increase intellect to increase mm -hmm. whatever and I don't let my players level anything up unless they have a good reason and if they have time to do it. So mm -hmm. if they say, I want to suddenly learn melee. Okay, well, how? Tell me how you did that. Tell me why you did that. What did you do to do that? Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, if, it, if they can't justify it story-wise, giving them the, the rest at the end, right? They're back at base. They found a training module. They read a book. They met back up with their master. They made a time bubble to figure it out, right? showing them and giving them opportunity to truly progress their character so the next time they're excited to try out this new talent this new ability whatever it might be new spell maybe uh, mm -hmm. is, is huge you know i think that if you're just dnd &D i think makes it a little bit easier because it's you're just leveling up you know you get to a certain point you level up you get to a certain point you level up in in our game i think it's a little bit trickier because you have to actually know how to spend the points on what but man, yeah. progress is so key not just story progress but personal progress exactly um I just I, had a thought on that too. <laughs> I was also going to say personal items, like giving them really cool, unique items that maybe cater to their abilities. So I mentioned earlier, I gave everybody, um, you know, it's, it's set in modern day in my game, right? So I, I had everybody get custom tailored outfits. I let them describe mm. how they look, what they, you know, I, I trolled them a little bit by giving them sort of gregarious colors uh, because I thought it would, you know, add a unique flair on, on, the, it was like a, a crotchety old man that was making them the suits and you couldn't argue with them too much. You know what I mean? So there was like a certain <laughs> character reason why they couldn't, but you know, tennis ninja, I gave him the ability to release pheromones from his suit that would cause more people to attack him than other players. I also mm. gave him perfect flexibility in his suit. You know, another character had a bunch of concealed weapons around her outfit. You know, another character, his suit was basically a giant bag of holding because he always wanted to like pull crazy stuff out of his pockets. And that was like kind of part of what he was doing. So I think giving your players custom tailored items to what they are doing that maybe don't show up in, you know, the, I can't remember what it's called in D&D, &D, but like the, the toy box, right? Mm. It shows them you're engaged in them. The best way to keep your players engaged in your story is to show that you're engaged with them. Mm -hmm. uh, that follows the line of um, 
NPC reactions I like to do is a lot of people won't notice it, but it's subliminally there that, you know, the Goliath barbarian walks into the tavern and goes to the counter. Obviously the, the tavern owners, Oh, you're, you're a big boy. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. a big girl, you know, and it, then it's the same way, you know, as you're describing the, the situation in the tavern, as they're walking through, people are craning their necks upwards to look at your character as they walk by oh you're playing a halfling you know uh well as you're walking through the tower tavern nobody really notices you because they are naturally normally stealthy you know mm -hmm. you play into their character's traits and they like hearing that they might not say it but they like hearing those things about their characters focusing on the characters like you said makes them feel good uh i believe chris bach elder on my second podcast said serotonin uh serotonin is the oil of the brain you know yep. you feel good it makes a more pleasurable experience so making them the center of the show um it does wonders and it keeps them coming back and that's why we're talking about keeping people invested and, you know, along those lines, as I mentioned, the way experience points works in Door of the Darkness is a little bit different than the way that it worked in D&D. You know, D&D, &D, mm. my understanding is you get some pool of XP based on the events that took place that session, yep. and it goes towards a level up. Um, so at the end of the session for World of the Darkness, there's some guidance as to how many experience points anybody should get. Getting three at the end of a session is like a pretty good amount. Like That would be an average amount of experience to earn, right? Mm -hmm. So in my game, what we do is everybody gets two points, one for sitting your butt in the chair and one for learning something today. Obviously, mm -hmm. you're learning something new every session, so you get those two off the bat. And what I actually do, and look, I understand how this next description might be a little bit uncomfortable for some people who have a little more social anxiety. I totally get it. It just works really well for me to keep them engaged with the story and with each other. I make mm -hmm. them vote on who gets the next four based on four categories. So I have who role played the best, who had the coolest effect, be it magical or just a cool thing that happened, who helped the party the most, and who moved the story along the most. Mm -hmm. And I have everyone vote, and because they had to have been paying attention all the time. Oh, I really like that, you know, Brian did this part. It was really, really cool. I want to give him coolest effect. Yeah, we agree, we agree. Brian gets another experience point. And there's times that one player gets mostly experience points that day. Everyone always gets two. Um, and there's mm -hmm. times that it's pretty evenly spread out. And, you know, what's nice about it is, you know, my, my party's very sweet and kind and nice. They spread out the points as evenly as they think is fair, unless unless someone really just ran the show that week. Um, mm. But it forces them to constantly be engaged, not just with me and with their character, and with the story, but with each other. Having the players engage each other is, a lot of new players will have an issue having that role-playing buildup. And to me, that sounds like a perfect way to facilitate that, to get them to actively pay attention to what other people are doing. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, yeah, like I said, I... I tend to have issues, you know, paying attention at times when I'm the player because of mental uh, ADHD. And I have one DM that I, I've played played under multiple times, and he knows this, and he does a really good job of that. And we've gotten better over the years about uh, actively role-playing together because we get more experience for it. I mean, it, he... Awards our experience based not solely on what we've killed, what we've accomplished, but 
did you play your character in game? Like, did you actively role play? Hey, that's an extra 250 experience this session. Hey, uh, you sat down and you had an active conversation with one of your players during the camp for the night to, you know, get some things off your chest or to ask for help. That's another 300 experience. You know, if your party is in unison, uh, the storytelling will be so much better because yeah other players will actively want to be a part of other players' stories. It's like Diane is uh, having a really bad divorce, right? So she's out here doing these odd jobs to get cash to send home. And her, you know, your new encounter was the babies or whatever, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. in the room. So that hit her really hard. After that encounter, the players might role play. Hey, Diane, are you are you good? Yeah. You know, that, that couldn't have been comfortable for you, you know, and it, it'll bring out a whole different aspect to role-playing games for everyone at the table. If you can get that interaction. And I know people suffer from social anxiety and we have, I think we've said it a few times during this episode that so um, tabletop role-playing games are a great way to have a closed off, support group kind of you honestly know, yeah uh, i would agree with that it's it's a great way to have boundaries and be in a safe bubble as long as you can trust the people and as long as you tell these stories and you learn who they are you'll you'll start to feel more comfortable with speaking out loud and uh eventually you you might feel more comfortable being in a social situation outside of the group too so you know, I, I was a very shy kid and would, was not a big talker, really wouldn't, you know, I, I had a couple of friends here and there, but I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't super popular. I, I was shy even in front of family. It's just kind of who I was, right? And eventually mm-hmm. I, I wanted to change that. And I definitely think role-playing helped me with that a little bit, but honestly, role-playing outside of the table, right? Eventually I said to myself, okay, well, if I want to change this, and I know it's not going to be this easy for everybody, work for me, not, you know, your mileage may vary. I basically started role-playing somebody who was better at talking. And, you know, it was 1% better every day until I was able to host my own podcast. You know what I mean? And and I think that forcibly doing it in a role-playing setting is exactly the same concept, right? It's it's practice. Social anxiety is very real. I would never tell you how to, you know, you can't quote-unquote just fix it. It's not real. But I do think that practicing certain skills can absolutely help you, right? It's, it's, almost certainly not going to do any harm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would also say, I want to say something to storytellers and DMs. And I also want to say something to brand new players to the storytellers and DMs. I would strongly encourage you to intentionally allow 15 minutes at the front of your game to just shoot the shit. People, Mm -hmm. you know, we play Wednesday nights at like roughly seven 30 at night, right? Everyone had a long day. They just got their kids to bed. They got a vent and you're just going to have a better session. Everyone's going to be in a better mood if they can just faff about for 15 minutes and complain about their boss or make a joke about how silly their kid was today or whatever it might be, right? You're going to get better mileage out of your players that way. And to Mm -hmm. new players, what I will say, my wife does have social anxiety, doesn't like role-playing games because of her social anxiety, right? She's like, she always thinks she's doing a bad job or or doing something wrong in the game. And I, I, I am very supportive and say, no, you literally can't. It is impossible to do something wrong. It's just Mm -hmm. a game. Like, even if you mess up, it's part of the story now. Like, that's all it is. Um, yeah. So what I would say to new players is 
just try anything. Just try anything. Even if you think you're going to fail the role, even if you think the conversation that you're having with the DM or with another player or with an NPC is, is dumb. It doesn't matter. It's not dumb. It's simply part of the story. Just do something, anything at all. Swing your sword, walk away from the party, grab a drink at the bar, whatever it is. Just try something and you'd be surprised how well it answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I always say, talk to your DM also. Because oh, yeah. if, if you're feeling uncomfortable, the DM can shine that light a little bit off of you. Yeah, you know? for sure. Uh, he can He can easily, you know, the people at the tavern aren't going to go up to you continuously. So uh, if maybe you're having a great session one week and you're really socially interactive, the next week you're just not feeling it, tell the DM before the session. Totally you know, acceptable, yep. A, a DM will make the time to make you comfortable to ensure that you have fun that and, and that's or dm storyteller game master yeah whatever you want to call it yeah I, i'm adding a new term storyteller <laughs> yep. because I, before it was oh i've got a game master i've got a store i've got a dm well now i've got storytellers exactly and yeah I, at some point there will be another term that i'll have to coin into the the podcast as well at some point and, and to kind of build off what you said, you know, if you're playing a game and you're new to this world and your DM, storyteller, GM, whatever, isn't listening to your concerns, isn't actively helping you, isn't actively teaching you the rules, et cetera, et cetera, leave that game. It's really mm-hmm. that simple. And I know I know that's uncomfortable to hear and to say and, and certainly to do. Leave that game. And if they don't understand, that is not your fault or problem. It's as simple exactly. as that. Just don't even give an excuse if you don't want to. Hey, this isn't for me. I'm sorry. Goodbye. End of story. Uh, and, and equally so for for st- and for storytellers and players alike, if you have a toxic player in the mix, it's up to all of you to stop that nonsense because it is mm. unfair to everybody around you. It is unfair. If you have a toxic player, again, I know it's uncomfortable to confront people. I get it. It's just what, what's better, having three miserable people at the table to ignore the toxic person or to have mm-hmm. one uncomfortable conversation to make sure everybody else is having a good time? I think you just found one of my topics for later on in the series is toxic <laughs> players because like I have stories, trust me. I, I've had to remove remove quite a few people from my games. Uh sure. mostly games at like game shops where they're open table and anyone can generally join. Yeah. Um but yes, DMs talk to your players. Uh that is this is a podcast for DMs by DMs, yeah. you know. Uh, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't just say four DMs by DMs because players will listen to this too. And if you are a player and you want to get into DM, DM mean, try it. Uh, all you have to do is stick one foot out and just take that step because it's really no different than playing your character. Yeah, you got to know a little bit more of the rules, but even then you really don't. You just got to be able to tell a story and make sure that everybody's on the same page as you that they know you're a new DM and they're not going to steamroll you. Um, if they do, like we said, take a step away from the table. Yep. You um, know, I, I mentioned this earlier. One of my players is, is now running his own campaign while mm-hmm. our, our other players on paternity leave. And, uh, you know, the way he describes it, he's like, I want to basically co DM with you, Joe. Like I know enough of the rules, but I want to make sure you're there to like give rulings if I need it or help. And, and of course I was more than willing and, and you know, I'm, I'm trying my best to empower him. And, and in my personal opinion, most people will do that. So if you are a new mm. DM or storyteller and you're uncomfortable with the rules, you're not hundred percent sure of yourself. 
I would strongly advise you have at least one player that is comfortable with the rules, right? And I guarantee you, if you are very honest with them, they will help you to the world's end because they yep. want to play. Yeah. And that that's a that's another way to keep them invested too. Like uh, I occasionally have my players run the initiative for me, just yeah. because I've already got enough on my plate. Hey, I got a stat block. I've got like six different monsters I need to run. Hey, I need Joe. I want you to roll the dice for me on these monsters. Um, you know, roll them out on the table. Just let me know what you rolled, and yeah. it'll make everything go quicker. And it gives them another reason to look at the table. Yep. Joe, I really appreciate you stopping by. This has been great. We're going to we're going to wrap it up cuz we're going a little long on time now. But sure. uh I was thrilled that you came on. I'm excited that you're my first podcaster that has <laughs> been on. It, it trust me, it makes a whole world of difference. So, my name is Roy. I'm the Intrepid DM. I just want to take the moment again to thank Joe from the How did we miss this podcast? Joe, why don't you tell me what you've been working on? what we can expect to see coming soon from you and where everybody can find you. Uh, sure. So how did we miss this is uh, it's our podcast. My co-host Darwin and I realized we've missed a lot of nonsense in our lives. I've never seen Top Gun. He'd never played Pokemon. He's still never seen Jurassic Park, which is crazy to me. He had never played Donkey Kong Country. There's a lot of these cultural touchstones. We've done music that we've missed. So we're going back and visiting them one week at a time. And if you want to check that out, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find the Intrepid DM. I, I would imagine we're on all yeah. the same platforms. Uh, you can also, uh, if you ever wanted to reach out to us, it's at HDWMTPod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, feel free to reach out. We love to hear from you. We love new guests. We, I, I'm willing to talk to the ends of the earth about pen and paper games or video games or whatever. Uh, and one final plug, if you don't mind, I'm also yep. a streamer on Twitch, much like you, Roy. Uh, and you can find me there again, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. Uh, uh, Thrill Joe Baggins, T H R I L L J O B A G G I N S. Uh, you can see behind me where I've got a green room. I do a mm. lot of green screen VR on Thursdays, and you know, for October, you can expect spooky stuff from both my stream and my podcast. And uh, of course, in December, we're going to be doing some holiday stuff. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, thank you, thank you for stopping by. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, definitely go take take a look at Joe. Um, I appreciate you stopping by so much. All I've got is one thing left to say to you all, and that's be intrepid and journey on, friends. Have a great night. Take care, everyone. Join me every other Wednesday when the chapters of the Intrepid DM Journeys drops on various platforms. Next chapter will feature Asmodeus from the Twitch channel Let's Play with the Devil, an online game master and streamer from the Lower Plains. And we will be talking, writing a story, and ways to keep your world moving. So join us next time, and if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review and subscribe to get the newest chapters when they release. If you're looking for other content that will wet your palate, then please check out twistmyarmpodcast.com for more information about myself and the other talented podcasters on our network. Take a listen to Sudden But Inevitable with host Jesse, Best Flicks with Ricky D, or Quest Me with host Josh, and we can't forget Marvel Canon Madness with host Chip. Thank you. Disclaimer. 
The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Intrepid DM Journeys podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the Twist My Arm Network and its other content creators.